Hi, this is Brooke. And this is Ellen, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today, wherever you are. Um, Brooke and I are hopping on here to have a discussion of the context in which uh, we find ourselves serving in the Holy District, and I'll let Brooke talk more about that. And this is us coming out of our series on the church, where we were talking about answering, trying to answer the question, is the Holy District church? Does it count as church? Um, and as we were talking about these different, as we were talking about these different ways of describing church and describing the Holy District, one thing that comes out of that conversation is a conversation of context and where we actually find ourselves doing this ministry. So we have Erica, who leads a community in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is more of an urban context. And then Brooke is in Gilbert, Arizona, and I, Ellen, am in State College, Pennsylvania. And Gilbert and State College have a kind of suburban, similar context. And so we wanted to talk about that. Um, Maybe you yourself are in a suburban context. So come, we invite you into this conversation about context. Brooke, can you tell us about suburbs? Yes. Um, (laughs) Thank you guys for jumping on today. Um, I have, you know, what's interesting is I was, as you were just speaking, I've lived in the suburbs my whole life. I've never actually lived like in a city. I've never lived um, in an urban area. My husband is actually from a really, really small town in Iowa. Um, I think like 5,000 people um, total. (laughs) I remember going to his hometown and um, it being like one stoplight. (laughs) Um, And that was just never my context. Um, I was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. um, And people always, you know, laugh about like Nebraska being like all about farmers and like kids driving their tractors to school. But it, (laughs) but it was for me, like uh, I lived in the suburbs of Omaha. So like, you know, a, a bigger a bit bigger metropolitan area. I, I graduated in a class of like 600 plus people. Um, yeah, lived on the outskirts of town. And so, yeah, I, I guess I just want to give some context to like what the suburbs are. And so when I went to look um, online about like what the suburbs are, uh, it's just, it literally said this defined as the outlying district of a city. And so it's often like residential or where people live, um, but it's different from rural. Uh, it's not necessarily rural. It's just like on the outskirts of the city where people often commute. Um, and at one point, I think it might've been like more like affordable uh, <laughs> to like live out in, in the suburbs per se, which I don't know, Ellen, like, do you, do you feel that now? Like, I, I don't know that the suburbs are necessarily more affordable now, but it could depend on your context too and where you live. Yeah, I definitely think it depends on where you are. Yeah. Um, So anyways, today we did want to share a little bit of our observations um, and our just like opportunities for the ways that we imagine the Holy District going, like in the way we do church in the Holy District, because we are both community pastors um, that consider ourselves living in these residential and or suburban areas. So, um, why don't we start off with just talking about some observations of our suburban communities? So Ellen, do you, um, you're in state college and you haven't been there that long. Maybe tell us like how long you've been there, um, what brought you there and then just a little bit about the area and what you've observed. Yeah. So I moved to state college 
almost a year ago. We are just about to come up on a year. Um, we came here for my husband Tyler's job. And more of that story is on our interview podcast a few weeks back. Um, but State College is such a neat place because so anyone, if if we picture Pennsylvania <laughs> as a rectangle, it, it's got a little more shape than a rectangle, but let's just go with a rectangle. <laughs> uh, State College is like right in the center of it. Um, it is right in the middle of Pennsylvania, um, surrounded by what we consider in Pennsylvania to be mountains, might not be mountains in other places of the country, but uh, Pennsylvania, mountains enough for Pennsylvania. Um, and it is, um, State College is built around this big university, Penn State University, um, which has multiple campuses, but its biggest campus and biggest draw um, is University Park, which is about 10 minutes from where Tyler and I live. And a lot of people are connected to the university. There's a lot of people that aren't, but a lot of people are either because they attended or because they work there now. Um, and so I find that State College is full of a lot of people that are here for a reason because you hmm. don't quite move to the middle of Pennsylvania to a city that's just formed right in the middle. There's really right. nothing else. Five miles out, there's really nothing else um, that looks anywhere remotely to what state college looks like. So people come here for a reason. I think, um, from what I've experienced and what I've learned from the people that we've met, um, and I find these people to be very passionate. Um, they usually have some kind of project they're working on some kind of, um, yeah, something that keeps them here, um, and keeps them pursuing the resources and the learning that is here. Um, and they, cause they could be in an actual urban city uh, working at a different kind of university, which has all those resources. Um, but they are here in the middle of Pennsylvania <laughs> mm-hmm. doing that thing. Um, and so along with that, we have a large Gen Z population for nine months of the year. Um, right. those other three summer months, uh, the town cuts in half by population, um, I think that, okay, okay. So that's fascinating actually to think about. Yeah. So I wonder, do things get less busy? Does traffic yes. like change? Okay. Usually p- what people say is there's a street that runs through a state college through downtown and most residents of state college drive around it during the school year, during oh. those nine months. Um, and then during the summer, people actually drive on it because there aren't students walking across the street on their phones and, (laughs) um, (laughs) there's just less people, less cars, um, less buses, busing people. Um, so yeah, the city really quiets down in the summer, which is so different from, um, the rest of the year, especially the fall with football games. Um, it's such an interesting, it's a constantly like moving, changing environment. Um, not as much though as an urban context, I think. So that is why I would still say it's suburban and not right an urban context, even though it experiences some movement and some flow. Um, it's still quite managed, I think. It's predictable, uh, which I think is one of the things that defines suburban communities, mm-hmm. that predictability of um, you know what's gonna happen, you know the schedule, everyone's on like the school mm-hmm. schedule and um yeah, that's how everyone's kind of functioning. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask about the Gen Z population. Do you feel like um, when they graduate, um, 
are they moving like away or do you see like a lot of Gen Z sticking around like in that part of, of town? In your observation, I guess you have, you know, you've been there what a year. So, you know, maybe you don't know. A lot of people move to state college knowing they're going to be here for four years, for five years, for seven years, like for a PhD program. So a lot of people have their timeline. And then when that's up, they know they're going to leave, um, which is very different, I think, from uh, moving to a lot of other suburban communities where it's kind of indefinite. Um, Mm -hmm. But here people are often on a timeline that is already predefined for them if all goes as planned. Um, So I do think a lot of people move away just because they have the assumption that they're not staying. At the same time, there are still a lot of young people and growing families, young families. um, and, And that's coming out of people just staying here for one reason or another, either because they usually because they got a job connected to campus um, or their friend group is staying um, and they just they want to stick around. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so that's that's a little bit about State College. Brooke, why don't you describe a little bit about the suburban context of Gilbert? Yeah. So, OK, I've lived in um, the greater Phoenix area now for nine years, which is just wild to think about. I moved here when I was 21 and I'm 30, um, almost 31. <laughs> so um, I I moved here uh, a year before I got married, and then Daniel and I got married, and then he moved here as well. So yeah, it's it's been crazy actually watching um, just this area shift and change. So when I moved to Arizona, I originally moved to Mesa, um, Arizona, which might be another like city that people know. Um, Gilbert is, is next to it, but what I find about Gilbert is it's actually, um, it's a growing town, uh, Mm -hmm. of young families. There's a lot of things popping up. There's lots of, uh, food, restaurants, coffee shops, activities for the family, parks, um, you know, with Arizona being actually pretty nice, at least seven months out of the year. Um, (laughs) right now it's absolutely horrid, uh, you know, breaking records out here, but, um, a lot of things are centered around being outside hiking. Um, there's, there's lots of beautiful canyons and mountains. Like literally I can cross the street and see like mountains, uh, in the background. Um, they're not, you know, snow top mountains. They're all very brown and desert like mountains, but yeah, definitely beautiful. Um, but with that, it was interesting you talking about the Gen Z population. So we've got like a community of, of growing families, but also snowbirds. So um, people come mm-hmm. here not only to vacation, but to winter here. So they'll leave their, you know, hot city or yeah, like not hot cities, they're cold cities in this in the wintertime and then come out here. Um, so, uh, a lot, just, we have more people who are in retirement or 55 plus, um, Daniel's grandparents, uh, my husband's grandparents live in a 55 plus community here and, you know, they all play cards together and (laughs) the, the streets you were talking about the streets, uh, they, they change here too. Um, Mm. you know, it's a little bit more crowded in that sense, uh, a little bit more people on, on the, on the road, lots of different license plates. Like it's a mod podge of all these different areas, uh, like coming together. Um, but anyways, yes. So those are, I guess those are some of my like small observations, uh, around Gilbert. It's also, um, pretty spread out. So, you know, you think of 
city, um, the city context or urban areas, a lot is just very close to each other. And um, out here, on, uh, kind of out in the Phoenix area, everything is like a grid. Uh, you kind of know the streets by exactly memorizing like, you know, where things are. Um, but also it's, it's pretty straight out, spread out. So to, to get anywhere or kind of go do something fun or go to a restaurant, it's, you know, 20 to, to 30 minutes, depending on like what city you want to like, uh, or town you want to just like run to. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that uh, actually, so this is something that I didn't even think about until now. We have a pretty big Mormon population, um, within our community. Mm-hmm. There are, um, there's probably like a Mormon temple on almost every street corner. Um, and they're right, they're positioned right next to schools. Um, and a lot of times schools will like break. Um, and then they get, I think they call it seminary time. This is like what they call it. They call it seminary and they get like a break out of school. Uh, if you're Mormon and you get to like walk over to the Mormon church and then you get your seminary hour, which is almost like their Bible hour. And then they like walk back over, you know, to their school. Um, so that's something interesting about our area. Yeah. Um, and then I guess more into like the church context. Um, there's a lot of mega churches within the, the Phoenix area. And so I, I guess I'm talking about Gilbert and I'm also talking about Phoenix because all these little towns you know, kind of are clustered together on the outskirts that make the greater metropolitan area of the suburbs. But um, there's lots of mega churches. There's lots of um, bigger growing organizations, um, kind of like nonprofits that are out here. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So um, I'm finding that that people are both, um, uh, if they're de church, sometimes it's because they've gone to a church before and they're still, you know, processing like maybe what happened there. And so they don't belong there anymore. Or people are just generally like Christian out here. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. like you meet somebody in a coffee shop um, and they're wearing, you know, um, something like on their t shirt that says something about Jesus. And then it strikes up just a very easy conversation. And the first question is what church do you go to? I mean, that, I have had that question asked so many times, like what church do you go to? What church do you go to? Because there's so many um, bigger churches out here. And that's kind of the thing. Cultural Christianity. I don't know that that's part of every suburban context, right? It, I'd be curious how many people would say that that is part of a suburban yeah. lifestyle is, is some kind of cultural Christianity, because I know we have that, I would say we have some version of that here. Um, and I would say I kind of grew up with that a little bit, but, um, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So that has its own layer of just having a lot of, uh, just having a large Christian mm-hmm. influence from, um, Mennonites and Amish. So that, that kind of has a couple outlier features to it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, to it's called flavor of cultural Christianity. But I do think that there's something about, um, suburban life that brings about the need to have some identity markers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think religion or, um, just a culture of like good, good morality kind of right. living, not saying that rural or um, urban don't have a flavor of that as well. Yep. But I do yep. think suburban life, I think also has that 
stereotype of um uh of being a good neighbor in terms of mm-hmm. your lawn is well kept which is just kind of an ironic thing because it is um, ironic <laughs> we, we don't mow our lawn that much so we always joke that we're not good suburban people because um we don't keep our lawn manicured <laughs> um but that's mostly just a time and cost thing and a, and a, I like supporting pollinator to kind of vibe but um but there is something about wanting to show other people who you are um externally and yeah. i think that that plays into these narratives uh, um at least in our con- in my context these narratives of self-sufficiency of individualism yeah. like i've got it all under control look look at not in a not in a flashy way of saying look at me but just if you did look at me you would see i've got it all together i don't need help yes i have my own success yes Do you have more you want to say about that from Gilbert? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So something I've been thinking a lot about um, just over the last few years is how, um, how I think, and for better or for worse, like, I don't know (laughs) how isolating it is Um, in my, in my head, I think, man, this is probably not a great thing about suburban life, but it is like an observation. So I live in a neighborhood um, where our houses, um, they're like stacked up against each other. So literally like I'm looking out my window right now and I can see like five feet in front of me is like Mm -hmm. my neighbor's house. Um, it backs up to my, I have like a little side yard and then it backs, you know, their house backs right up to it. Um, our neighbor's house. And then our houses face inwards towards each other. So, um, the front doors are on, um, all the houses are like in a line and the front doors face each other. And then our garages are on the back side through like an alleyway. So what's interesting about this setup um, out here in my neighborhood is that um, you would think that it would create more of a community feel, like more of a neighborly feel. And in some ways, when it is really beautiful outside in Arizona, <laughs> you do see that because people are outside and we share like a grass patch together. But in a lot of ways, people pull through their garage on the backside because it's not, we don't have driveways mm. and then the garage comes down and you never go out your front door and you never see your neighbors. And I mean, if I'm being honest, I have felt isolated in my own home, you know, so I can only imagine what potentially my neighbors are feeling. And I do, I think that maybe at one point the suburbs were supposed to be this like neighborly vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, I know that for sure happens in lots of places around the U.S. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, in my context, where I live, it feels a little bit more shut in. Um, we have lots of gated neighborhoods. You have to have a code to get even get into the neighborhood. So um, mm. people don't have access um, necessarily to come in or to... Um, safety is really emphasized, you know, in these areas. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think it can feel very isolating. Um, very, very lonely. Um, I, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I, I used to work with teenagers and it's just fascinating. The, the rates of anxiety and depression that are happening in teens for all kinds of reasons. But I, I think that some of this has to do with it too, just being, being shut in, not having access um, to your neighbors or to the community or to other resources, 
necessarily, it's easy to shut yourself in your home. Um, and I'm just as guilty of that, you know? Yeah. What you're saying helps me see that place really matters and the the Mm -hmm. ways that our, our physical space is built and what we value shapes our experience. There's nothing wrong about valuing safety. Totally. And at the same time, the measures at which we go to give ourselves safety, build our space in a way that might cut us off from other people because we might, we're building that safety because of some level of distrust. Right. So now we've got a distrust current that's running underneath that value of safety. Um, and that's just one example. Yeah. Um, and that's one that's one way to evaluate that example. I think that anyone could look at that differently, but that's how I'm looking at that right yeah, now. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and I think um again, just speaking to Gilbert specifically, but you know, I it's I think sometimes we're good at meeting like physical needs or um like someone has a a, a need in the moment and I've seen people rally financially just to make something happen or like somebody needs something for their home. So they'll give them, you know, the thing that they have or the thing that they need. Um, and I think that's like a really cool, um, part to like where we live. Um, I live more in an area that is, um, you know, middle-class, um, there is uh, a lot of wealth out, out here in this area. And so people can, you know, donate to, you know, serve a need, um, to help people with rent, if whatever that is, um, at the same time, I think what we lack is the access to the consistency in those relationships. You know, it's easy just to drop like a dollar amount, you know, in someone's lap for a time, but then like, what's the, um, what's the other side of that? Um, and, and how do we continue to have relationships, um, with people so that it is almost like this mutual flourishing and not just like, oh, I'm, I'm the person with, you know, the money or the, the material thing and I'm the one giving it, but how can they also like bless me in my life? Like, how can I have them contribute to me regardless of like where we stand financially? So that's, yeah, that's just another interesting thing about our area. Does that, do you resonate with that at all? Or what what are your thoughts on that? I love the phrase mutual flourishing that you yeah. used earlier. Um, I, I really love that. And that is so hard, especially when our first impulse is meeting physical needs. Right. And I say, I say our, because, um, because I live in this context. And so I also feed off of the ways that it functions. And, um, so I, I wouldn't say that this is just my neighbors and not me. Yes, this is also 100%. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is me that feels okay with um trying to um yeah, help somebody with with a physical need that I can meet with with what I do have um and yet there's there's something behind that need that is is even deeper, is even more um, spiritual. And the word that I've been using for that is interdependence talking Mm. about, um, how do we get people to, how, how do we come alongside people to see that depending on each other is a good thing? Um, not that, not that somebody has to become dependent on you or that you become dependent on somebody else, 
but that we know enough about each other's lives and about the situations that are coming up week to week or month to month and becoming interdependent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, for example, I've seen this be such a beautiful thing in my neighborhood. Um, In one way, this winter, uh, I I experience a very cold winter, (laughs) or I shouldn't say very, pretty cold winter. Um, And uh, in the winter, Tyler and I, our pipes froze at our house while we were away at Christmas. And we had no idea that then our house was flooding. Um, and we don't know how many days that it was flooding. Um, but one of our neighbors was walking his dog and he heard the sound of fire alarms going off in our house. And he thought that's probably not a good thing. And everyone kind of, I think knew at that point that we were not home because everyone kind of sees we have open driveways for the most part. (laughs) So everyone can actually kind of see who's coming and going and how often, and you just never know what people know based on your driveway. And I find that kind of a silly side note, but, um, so he told one of our, our next door neighbor and he called me and I told him how to get into the house. And he walked in and he said, it was just like a waterfall, (laughs) just like water coming down from our ceiling. And as and that story could keep going in another direction of like how all that shaped out. But the one thing that I want to highlight from that um, is that I is that we were dependent on our neighbors to know that right. something was wrong, yeah. even if we weren't even around. And so I do think that while it's not the most common, that interdependence is not the most common posture uh, in our neighborhood right now or in state college in general, I think that it's there. Um, when uh-huh. it needs to show up, it shows up. And so I think like the seeds are there or the preparing of the soil for those seeds is there. And um, part of me just wants to draw that out a little bit more just keep playing yeah. with it. Like how are some other ways that we can invite people into uh, rhythms of interdependence? And I think one of those is just being honest about my own needs. Um, yeah. So we don't have family here. Uh, our family isn't too far away, but we don't have family here. And so when there are like celebrations that a lot of people do with their families or something, um, just reaching out and saying like, Hey, or is it all right if I celebrate this with you? Because, um, it would just be, well, we could do it. We can do it with friends too. And sometimes we do that, but we're trying to, um, create in our community opportunities for celebration. And I think Brooke, your community has yeah. a little bit of practice with that. Can you For sure. That? Yeah. Um, yeah. And before I go into that, I just want to um, just emphasize, I, I love what you're talking about when it comes to interdependence, because what in my head, I'm thinking about um, there's always going to be needs always, like mm-hmm. no matter how you look at it, life has needs. And so when you're dependent upon somebody, that means you're dependent upon them to meet a need. And I have needs every single day. <laughs> and so I really does I really do think that it comes down to being honest about those needs and how you can invite people into that where it is more communal. Like we're not meant to do life alone. And this is not even an extrovert introvert thing. Mm-hmm. Um it might be a little bit more challenging if you're used to being a little uh if you're used to doing it on your own. So, you know, taking that step to invite people um, in might be a little bit more challenging to you, but I, again, I don't think it's based on like your personality. I think it is like something that we're called to do as, as people. Um, 
So I really love what you're talking about there, but um, yeah. So, I mean, celebrating, I think that what I've learned over my time here in Gilbert is we love just a reason to gather and a reason to um, like come together. And so um, at least some of the things that we've kind of done with, with the Holy district um, here in Gilbert is (laughs) game nights is such an easy way to gather with people, especially like your neighbors. Um, Hey, just come over for games, like card games, like whatever. I don't know. Um, Let's hang out. Um, rally around birthdays. I mean, birthdays yeah. are, everyone has one, everybody has a birthday. So why not like put on a party for all your friends every time they have a birthday? I don't know, you know, whether it's your friends or neighbors or somebody like that you work with, like it, it doesn't matter. Um, and then like holiday parties, uh, like gathering around, <sighs> the 4th of July or, you know, like (laughs) watching fireworks together. Um, something that we've done in our community, as far as like the Holy district goes is, um, gathering just around like Cinco de Mayo and kind of just having a fun celebration around that. And then something that I've been dreaming about, uh, just an opportunity that we could have here in Gilbert is, um, putting on like dinner parties. Uh, Daniel and I love, uh, hosting people in our, in our house. Um, Daniel is the main cook out of the two of us. I do not (laughs) do a lick of cooking, but he loves to cook. And, um, I even just like think back to the time that I, uh, I, so I grew up in a small church, uh, in a suburban area, but I did grow up in a small church and we did potlucks like Mm -hmm. every now and then after church and everybody like gathered, um, around food and what an easy way to gather just around food. So yeah, like I, something that I've heard you talk about Ellen is just the, the playful gatherings. Um, and, uh, you, you expressed that to me actually a couple of days ago, just this sense of like being playful. And do you have any more thoughts about that specifically or, um, the need to just like engage in playful, meaningful activities? Yeah. There's something so simple about just getting people together to laugh. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and to be on teams and to do something that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. Um, this is going to, this is going to be so random, but, um, Tyler and I are right now watching lost, um, that oh, like, Oh my gosh, I love lost a few years ago. <laughs> I have never watched it. I have no idea what's going on. And it's crazy. I am Get on board. It's a journey. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of seasons, but <laughs> in the first few episodes, um, there's this moment where one of the guys builds a golf course um, on the island. So everyone's like, it, Lost is uh-huh, like, every, yeah. maybe everyone knows this. And I just am the only person that does not know this, but Lost is a bunch of people on a deserted island. And um, they're all super stressed because they're waiting to be rescued. And um, everyone is just having a really rough time. And this one guy, he's like, you know what? I think we just need some fun. And everybody thinks he's crazy. Um but he builds this this stupid golf course because he found some golf clubs in the plane, um, in the crashed plane, and um, and everyone loves it. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and everyone is healthier and happier uh, for just a few hours. Nothing goes wrong because yep. everyone has just played for a little bit. Um, and I just feel like that is such a that, that's obviously an extreme example <laughs> um, and fictional, but it's so true about when we, when we gather around goodness and when we gather to be 
simply playful um, without, well, there might be some competition in some game, but um, without <laughs> like the competition of, um, of something to achieve or something to win. Like there's, there's nothing at stake. It's just people being people. Um, and there's, there's something I think also that's intergenerational about play, um, play crosses so many different social barriers that we can sometimes set up. If we are trying to get to know somebody, how we want to talk to them or how we don't know if we can talk to them, but something about play just lets those melt away for a little while. And people, people just remember it too. They remember having a good time. Um, and then they want to do it again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so there's something that can build, uh, in consistency with playfulness and this is, and that's so fun. This is super random, but do you know that pickleball pickleball specifically is one of the fastest growing like sports in America? (laughs) Yeah. I Um, love it. I, I found this fascinating. So I have never actually played. Um, we, we actually had a pickleball, um, night, like a couple months ago, this was before the summer in Arizona. Um, (laughs) and we had a neighbor come play and I have a small child at home, so I didn't get to necessarily engage, but I did watch and, oh my gosh, how fun is it? Like, that's the thing (laughs) is like, people will find a reason to come out and just do fun things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and what you said about, um, the like introvert extrovert divide, I consider myself just really quite split down the middle. Um, so I feel like I kind of get both sides slightly often more lean to introvert, but really split here. Um, and there's something about play that even if, I mean, you were watching because of other reasons, but even just being able to watch other people have fun or just being able to be around other people physical people doing something playful. Um, it's, it's not that everyone has to participate at the same level, but there's, there's options of participation. Uh Um, whereas sometimes I think conversation, some people love conversation. I love talking to people for like hours and hours. (laughs) Um, but some people can find that intimidating in meeting people. So just being able to learn things by being a fly on the wall and, um, just observing people's personalities. Um, I think playful opportunities give people levels of interaction. Yeah. Uh, and there's no pressure to stay for a certain amount of time or it's just so much more flexible. So what you're talking about, um, just about dialogue and conversation, actually, this is something that I wanted to talk about as well. Um, just as far as like my community goes out here. So, um, you know, we, we planted a holy district community out here and we have, um, a small team of people that meet, um, regularly, um, on Sundays to, um, talk about spiritual things. Um, and so what is interesting is, um, we like to gather because we like each other. And of course we want to be playful and, you know, all those things. But what's interesting about this gathering is it's also addressing just tough topics that lead to critical thinking. And I think some people really dig that type of, um, vibe. Some people love the conversation. Some people love going deep for hours. Some people love the debate or the back and forth. Um, uh, whatever topic you want to discuss, you know, it could be over something so silly, you know, or it could be over, you know, like what is the meaning of life? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like, what does life look like after death? Like, what, like, let's talk about forgiveness. I mean, all those things, all those topics have actually come up in our community at some point or another. And I think that's what makes it really cool is there, um, at least for us, I really hope that people who come in contact with our community find um, their place, whether that is uh, wanting to come just to like be playful or celebrate things, or if they want to engage in a meaningful conversation somewhere, it doesn't even have to be in the group. I try to, you know, do my best to like get coffee with people. Cause I'm probably like you in that sense where I could just like sit there and talk to people for hours. <laughs> um, but I think it matters, you know, creating those different avenues for different personalities to, to engage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I really value about the Holy district um, and, and the different that we're willing to experiment with different ways of connection, because I do think in my experiences of church and when I've observed from other people's experience of church, we have, we have a few ways of interacting with people that we need to maintain, such as like a Sunday morning worship kind of experience um, but that's not always where people first respond, or that's yeah. not always where people, um, where people feel invited. And mm-hmm. so we're not talking, we're not placing these playful gatherings above, um, actual in-depth community. Yeah. It's real and authentic. Um, and at the same time though, we see that it's, it's valuable because people, People need a sense of belonging first. Mm-hmm. Often, I think people need a sense of belonging first, and they will engage as the Spirit leads them to engage. Like Jesus is already there, <laughs> Jesus is already present. Um, we're not trying to like get people in through this one thing and then be like, oh, and by the way, Jesus. Exactly. Um, no bait and switch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really not like that. I can understand that sometimes it can sound like that when you hear it explained. Um, but what it really is, is that we already come into these playful spaces knowing that Jesus enjoys play. And yeah. well, it's think- like, what if, what if church was simply, you know, playing pickleball? Right. Like, I don't know. I did a podcast this on a couple of weeks ago, just about, um, gathering, gather to the church as a gathering that, I mean, that's literally what we're talking about. You know, what if, you know, these moments just to, to pick up and, and have a dinner party is church and it doesn't even need to be, oh, we need to have intense dialogue. Yeah. But often, and often what happens is that as people feel that sense of belonging, they open up. Sure. Um, yeah. We've had people share things about their, we hosted this um, hot chocolate day on our porch um, in December, which I can't even believe people showed up to it. It was like, so awesome. <laughs> it's like winter. Everyone's like huddled together outside. Um, so but good. it was so sweet because people actually shared things about um, their lives, even though that's not, none of that was prompted. Um, it's just because they sensed enough belonging and enough safety um, and enough trust in their community that they just shared. It's just that that common space that can just at any point just like flip to an invitation of holiness. But we acknowledge that that opportunity for Jesus to intercede has is always present. It doesn't mm-hmm. just like fade away or it doesn't mm-hmm. just it doesn't need to be invited for it to show up. It, Jesus is just there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Gosh, I've loved this conversation so much. Is there anything else that you want to share about, you know, your context or your community uh, before we kind of end our conversation today? Being a part of suburban community is, I think has, I think suburban community has a lot of opportunity. Um, While we did describe some of these false narratives of self-sufficiency and some of these um, concerns about anxiety and loneliness. Um, I think what we've seen in the past, what I've seen in the past few months, what Brooke has seen in the past few years of of living in Gilbert um, is that there is so much opportunity and that mm-hmm. being in it for the long haul is really hard um, because sometimes you just like want to see community just like explode and for people to find meaningful connection to Jesus instantly. Um, and sometimes that does happen at the same time. Um, there's also a slowness and a consistency of just needing to show up and, and const- and continuing to offer the invitation of interdependence. Um, and that I think looks a lot like Brooke or me admitting, like, I feel lonely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you hang out with me? <laughs> or, um, or, even for Tyler and I, we, so after all this flooding stuff, we had our floors replaced upstairs and we kind of wanted to celebrate it. Um, and who better to celebrate it with than the people that like rescued us right. <laughs> out of that situation. And so we invited them over, um, just to celebrate our floors. That's it. <laughs> and it can feel so simple, but we, again, didn't have family in the area to, be like, Hey, come celebrate this with us. And our friends all were already, um, acknowledging that that was a big deal, but we wanted to invite our neighbors specifically into that because they were the ones that were present for it. Um, and so I think just recognizing who's present around you and, and willing to be just a one step more vulnerable with them, one step more Mm. humble with them. Um, as, as you feel that, that is safe to do. Um, and that makes me feel really excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with that. And I, I think to bring it full circle, I think mutual flourishing, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because calling, I, calling myself a pastor doesn't feel natural to me hardly ever. It feels mm-hmm. very weird, um, to even say, Oh, I'm a pastor, but the reality is, is that what you, you know, you can throw that title out the window. I have needs too. You know, mm-hmm. I have, um, the opportunity to share my vulnerability to those who are closest to me, even living in proximity to me. And so, you know, what does that look like uh, to be interdependent again, to bring that full circle, like on each other. So I really enjoyed just this conversation with you, Ellen. Yeah, me too. I hope that anyone listening that does find themselves in a suburban context might just have a little spark of, um, something that you feel like you might want to try next. Um, it can be so simple. It can be as simple as just saying hi to the person that's walking their dog as you're getting in your car. Um, but those, those simple invitations will build and build. And mm. um, we just send you out for mutual flourishing. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Holy District Podcast today. 
The Holy District is an expanding network of grassroots, Jesus-centered community building currently multiplying in Pennsylvania and Arizona. We are grateful to share scripture with you and to hold space to hear what God might have for us and our communities each week. You can find us on social media at Rediscover Sacred. And if you'd like to connect with me, Erica, Brooke, or another member of our team, you can fill out a contact form on our website, holydistrict.org.